When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to the Chels. Here we are, another week's gone by. And what's happened in the world of Chelsea? Well, we're going to discuss that very shortly with some very wise people. But first, we should introduce those wise men. First up is Mr Andy Saunders. Hello Andy, how are you? Yeah, I'm alright. Um, I am, yeah, processing, I think, is the is the right expression. Processing what's happening to our football club. But uh, I'm all right, apart from that. OK, well, processing is good. Well, I hope you've processed enough to divulge your deepest, darkest thoughts about Chelsea and where we're going. It's a, fam- it's also- a family show, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, maybe maybe you haven't got dark thoughts. Maybe you're just thinking, you know what? This is a path we're on, and that's what happens. But the the other man who may be able to help us with some insight, he's back again. It's Mr. Seb Fontaine. Hello, Seb. How are you? I'm good, actually. And normally, after a couple of losses, I'm ready for a rant. Actually, I'm 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 surprisingly calm today. So, but I'm sure we'll get to that point at some point. Is that the Xanax? Not yet. It's only, what was it, 4.30-ish? Give me maybe another hour or so. <laughs> You've changed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Andy, Andy did say he was worried that, you know, this might have been a bad week for you, Seb, to come on here and that just maybe it was all too much, as it's possibly been for some fans. But I don't know. I think I think we're all pretty deep thinking and analytical about everything and we can take it all in our stride and let's find out where the stride takes us this week but um Andy how, how do you feel today when you think about Chelsea we'll go into the games a bit more in depth but 
Are you? You seem quite sanguine about this. To uh, use a, a word that's not often heard. Sanguine. Sanguine is not a bad description. I'm uh, fairly resigned. Um, fairly, I think, understanding of what the owners are doing here. I'm not necessarily fully in agreement with it, but I think I get what they're trying to do. Um, so I, I'm not filled with incoherent rage. That's why I said I was processing it because. It was such a shockingly bad game and, and bad performance and the culmination of a really poor period for our football club that I guess that the natural reaction would be to just fall wailing and gnashing your teeth and, and, and you know, wondering why the world has ended. But I think if you get a couple of days to step back from, from it, think about it, rewatch the game, really try and think what, the process, for want of a better word, is here, um, and, and then try to understand what they're doing. As I say, you may not necessarily come to an agreement with them, but it might make it easier to to accept that you're on, as you said, on a particular road, and you're probably not going to be off it for a while, so you might as well try and enjoy the ride. And Seb, I mean, how do you take this? We are going to go back in time a, a week and, and look at Borussia Dortmund away in a minute, but... Um, how do you feel? Do, do you feel as though we are now really in the middle of something we've been talking about for a number of years, probably since the Sarri times at least, about rebuilding and we'll rebuild and we'll do that? We are actually rebuilding at this moment in time. And a lot of people don't like it, but you have to understand surely that things become difficult when you take everything that you've known away and return everything into a new format. So there's a couple of points there, uh, and I agree with the rebuilding. You know, we've spent a lot of money on some quite evidently good players. But, you know, on the last podcast, I did say it felt like we we're building a cake. And we've got all the sprinkles, all the icing, all the decoration and no flour. Um, you, you know, we, we feel like we're missing the basis of something. We've got lots of new dribbling players that are very fancy and, and nice to watch. And I tell you what, Jao Felix, when he's on the ball, he, he's a, you know, he's, he's easy on the eye. Uh, it, it's just, there's something wrong. Um, and I think during this rebuilding process, you know, I don't think anyone's scared of us. You've got a bottom of the league team coming and giving it their all. And, you know, kind of showing us up a little bit. There's no fear at Chelsea. And I think we're short of confidence as players. I think the manager, you know, I mean, when you've only won one, one game in 10, he's got to be short of confidence. And, you know, if the papers are to believe on borrowed times, on borrowed time. But I, I just, I don't think it's panic stations yet. I really don't. And, you know, listen, I love a rant. I, I'd be more upset if we, you know, if we put that kind of display in, but we've been playing really well recently. It was just we didn't bother turning up. I mean, this is obviously a bit of a struggle to get everything right and to fit all the pieces in. He's got way too big a squad. There's a lot of players unhappy. And I think we should have seen this coming. I think we should have got rid of a few players, you know, not just buying everyone, but, you know, because otherwise an unhappy dressing room is really hard to overturn, as many Chelsea managers have found out over the years. And Andy, I mean, on that note, you've got a squad of 30-odd players we know that probably eight, maybe nine of them are just pretty much on the whole, not even going to be involved in squads for the rest of the season. That's the difficult part because next season they'll have cleared everything out and they will have what they want as the squad. How difficult is it 
do you think to separate those players and make sure that their emotional state, which they must be in, if you're not playing and you're a footballer and you're not even getting near the side, how does it, how do you stop them from affecting the other players? Because they're going to be very negative and they're going to be per- pessimistic, aren't they? Well, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, a- an example would be Aubameyang who has been cast in some quarters as a troublemaker wherever he goes, but by all accounts has been the model professional at Chelsea, which is not getting a game, you know, not featuring because Potter has said, I want to give other players a chance in that position. We haven't heard hide nor hair from a Bamingham. We've heard no snidey social media posts. We've heard no reports from Cobham that he's disruptive. I mean, maybe he just feels that he'll just bide it out for the next few months, collect his money and then go somewhere else, which would be the sensible way to do it. I'd be more concerned about players like Pulisic, who genuinely thinks he's a world-class player um, and and gets a lot of affirmation for his role in the US national team and can't seem to translate it to club level. It must be very difficult for him. I'd be very concerned about how he reacts to being sidelined. Ziyech, I think, is cross because he wanted to go to PSG and that all fell through, so it feels like he should be somewhere else and he's stuck here. So, again, I don't know what kind of a guy he is. I'd like to think earning the kind of money that they do and having... I mean, we're talking about those type of players coming from big clubs, you know, coming from professional setups, so they have a professional mindset, which is it may not work here, it may work somewhere else. Um, I, I don't. I think the days of players being disruptive are gone. I think there's checks and measures in places uh, at elite football clubs to stop that happening. Um, and I, I think you know before a player is even signed, I think their mentality is a big a big thing about what the club takes into consideration when it's buying someone. And I, I think a lot of the players who play at this level have an elite mentality. Not all of them, you know. Some of them may be cross, may be upset, but I think and I hope that most of them will turn up, train, be ready when they're you know when they're needed, um, and, and not throw their toys out there, Bram. And on the Abamyang issue, I, I think we. We're being fed certain lines by certain members of the media who are saying, oh, Potter's a bit weak, he's not this, he's not that. Actually, doesn't this show the strength of character when supposedly we've heard stories about Yang, we've heard this, we've heard that. He has obviously made his mind up, Potter, that I don't think he wants Yang in the squad doesn't want him playing he talks about well he's he's in the squad but he doesn't even make it on the bench at the moment and that shows a strength of character of a man who isn't afraid to make big decisions who isn't afraid to take on a player like this head on and go sorry you're just not playing what do you think about that do you think that shows a steeliness Seb that perhaps people haven't seen and also do you not think a man like uh, Potter who's been through the way he's been through can't have got to where he's got to if he doesn't have a certain resolve, a certain steel, a certain determination. Um, Okay, I'm just going to end on a little bit on uh, what Andy was said. I mean, actually, I think one player who's who's absolutely shone and, you know, despite his move not going through and just been the model professional, Iziek, I think, you know, in the two games before these last two this week, the two losses before that, I thought he was one of the best players on the pitch and actually looked really up for it. There was no head down. There was no, my move to PSG didn't go through. And I was kind of, I don't know, proud's the right word, but I was kind of 
pretty happy with the way he's conducted himself and thrown himself back into the Chelsea team. And actually, I thought we could do with a little bit more, you know, of that kind of, that get up and go from some of the other squad players. Um, Back to the Potter thing. The Potter thing is a really odd thing. And I was going through quite a lot of, um, a lot of the, you know, newspaper stuff today. And one of them was, you know, should Potter go? And it wasn't quite 50-50, but a lot of, professionals and media and football journalists are all kind of on the fence, actually. And, and, you know, a lot of people saying he needs more time. Um, I don't think there's any, I don't, I've not, no worries about his grit or determination. You don't get to the Premier League without grit and determination. I I don't think that's ever in question. I think the question is, is he the man to change what's going on around? And, you know, you have to remember that this, this, dip in form has gone all the way back to the last third of last season under Tuchel. This is not a Potter problem. And, you know, and there are lots of reasons. And I think Tuchel was struggling and all lots of stuff. I don't know whether Potter is the person to turn it around. I'm starting to have my own doubts and I don't want to have my own doubts because I wanted this to be a massive success. I wanted us to have you know, this British manager that had come up the right way, done the right things, and we weren't just going and nicking, you know, real Madrid's manager or someone like that just because he'd had a, been a, a, a high-ranking foreign club, which is where we've been so many times. I really wanted this to work. I, I, am I getting down the slippery slope and wondering whether it needs a, a fresh face to change it? I don't know. I'm, I'm, you know what? I actually don't know. I normally I have a massive opinion. Is this the right thing? You know, way before this kind of bad form, I was desperate to get rid of Sarri. I was desperate to get rid of plenty of other managers. You know, I, I don't always disagree. You know, I don't always agree with the people that say we sat too quickly. I mean, sometimes it's clearly wrong. On this point, I'm not so sure. Do, Andy, do you not think that something interesting out of that is that Potter? Is he the right man? Isn't he the right man? We don't know. Is this not one of the first times that I can remember in years and probably you can remember in years where actually we need to give the manager time because we don't know what he's really like as a manager? He's been successful at a lower level. It's a different type of manager you need to be to be up amongst the top elite sides. So as much as we have to say a player needs time to bed in, Just possibly we have to be saying that about the manager as well. Going back to your original question, is he strong? Is he weak? I I don't think anybody can argue that Graham Potter's weak. I mean, the pressure that he's had to withstand in recent weeks, months, you know, has been intense from the media, from the fans. He's never given anything but a calm and measured response to any question that he's been answered. Now, some fans have got frustrated with that they want a bit of passion they want a bit of teacup throwing you know they they want him to to lose his mind on the sidelines but I quite like the fact that he's been very consistently measured what he doesn't have so that means I I think he's very weak and very uh self-assured and very um comfortable in his own skin and I think they're they're great attributes and, and and a great strength you know it shows that when the pressure's really on he can focus and he can think is he charismatic? No. Does that matter? Maybe. Uh, do the players respect him? Who knows? We don't know. The media don't know. The only, only, the, the only, only the players in that dressing room when he's talking know. Um, the one question that I would just say is: Is he a player that lives and dies by relentless winning? 
and that manager a manager i'm sorry uh you know is is he somebody that you know that cannot accept anything but relentless winning because that's what we need you know and the most successful player uh, managers that we've had in the past have been relentless winners you know whether that's conte whether that's Mourinho, whether that's hiddink or 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 ancelotti you know these these guys are relentless winners they don't accept one one draws one one draws to them are a loss i get the sense that that potter has never been in a situation where he's been a relentless winner and i just wonder whether that's in his psychological makeup um and that's a pun i'm just i don't know you know i have nothing to base that on i'm just throwing that question out there and I'm wondering if if um, he is able to instill that urgency in the in in the players to, to do that or whether he's taking a more methodical uh, academic approach to to strategy and to tactics that may pay off in the long term but you know we might have to suffer a lot of pain in the meantime I'm a little bit with Seb I don't know where entirely what I feel about it I don't think sacking him now is going to achieve anything I don't think the I don't think the 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 buy uh, the, the the owners um, think anything about this season. This season, as they say in America, has already been punted. It's already gone. You know, bar a miracle in the Champions League, uh, the the next fifteen, sixteen games don't really matter so long as we get the nine points we need to you know to avoid re- relegation, which we will. Uh, I hope. I think. Um, so I, I genuinely don't think that it's in the owners' minds to sack him. I think they'll review it in the summer and they will make a decision based on where we've got to by then. I, I also think there's there's a moment where you could actually be almost uh, glass half empty, glass half full. We're nine points off the relegation zone. We're also 11 points off the, the top four. Yeah. So we, we are, are very proper much mid-table. mid-table. Yeah, very much mid-table. Yeah. So, you know, it depends which way you look at it and which way you want the narrative to go. But, but Andy, I just want to go back to you just here. Being in PR, what would you say to somebody like Potter or, or to the club if they wanted advice on what he should be doing? Would you say, well, don't do anything. Just be yourself as you are. I, I think in these situations, the only advice you can give professionally would be control the narrative. Um, don't let people make a narrative up about you. You know, make sure that you are consistent in what you say, that your message is clear, that you have key messages, that you put them across consistently, and that you don't waver from that. Because as soon as you do that and you invite conversation about that, the narrative will change about you and you lose control of it. So I think he's doing the right thing by being calm and measured. I see no value in him being something he's not, which is a kind of wild... Uh, over-emotional uh, lunatic on the sidelines. I mean, that works for Conte. It works for Mourinho because, you know what? That's what they are. Uh, but I don't think it works for, for Graham Potter and I, I don't think that inauthenticity would, would, would work. And so I think be yourself, be measured, be calm. It, it may not work out for you in the long run, but it will only get worse if you don't. And Seb, do you not think that whole idea of, you know, being really in people's faces and shouting and screaming like Arteta is doing at the moment? It's all about that's just purely deflection, isn't it? It's trying to get away from the fact something wasn't right on the pitch with our team. I'm going to take the narrative away. It is controlling the narrative, but in a very different way. Potter is measured. Yeah, and it's funny you mention Arteta because, you know, Mike, there were a couple of seasons really where they were doing very similar things to what we're doing now in terms of performances. You know, a lot of fans were screaming for Arteta's head and look at them this season. You know, I mean, sometimes giving a manager time probably is the right thing to do. And it's obviously not something Chelsea are known for doing, but I think 
you know, in our defence, I think sometimes when a manager loses the dressing room, it's never going to come back. I don't think we're at that stage yet. Um, no, I, you know, look, Potter's not a, a screaming madman. He's not a guy. I mean, the other, you know, when you look at, El, you know, another reason of let's not sack him. I mean, there's not a lot of people available. I mean, I, I hear some people screaming for Pochettino. I just don't get it. He's had one you know, nearly season at Tottenham and not much else. I just don't see the clamour for Pochettino at all. Don't get it. What about um, what about Mourinho? No, 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 no. I mean, I mean, isn't that ludicrous? I mean, the guy's not even doing very well in Rome. He's lost half his games in Rome. Um, he's fourth in the table, miles off the top. Um, you know, he's had two goes, two bites at the cherry here already. You know, give him a third go. We know what will happen. He'll probably shit house his way to a, you know, to a cup. Um, but he'll leave a, a trail of broken bodies. You know, that we'll have to clear up in the way, and he'll be gone within a year. You know, I mean, I think that we we can't invite that kind of madness into this structure at the moment. I just I don't see the value. You in it now, and I, I think I think look that everything that you hear coming out of Chelsea is that Bowley and his team are not even thinking about this. This isn't part of the narrative. They've talked to journalists. They've said we are not changing the manager, and they're not. It's going to cost them a fortune anyway if they do at this moment in time. Plus, it's a terrible look for a new regime to go through two managers in six months. Yeah, Andy. So I did this thread on Twitter, I don't know if you saw it, which was about no. trying to process this idea of processing, you know, the game. And, and and one of the conclusions that I came to after conversations with my son, to be fair, was that... Um, He's the wise one he in is the wise one. He's certainly the more wise than me. Um, but this idea that we've got to not think that the owners and the players are like us. They're not like us. They don't think like us. They don't have emotional meltdowns like us. They're not, you know, they don't They don't thrive on instant gratification. They don't have these emotional highs and lows. They are, particularly the owners, a commercial operation, you know, who want to think long-term about the strategy of what they're doing. And when I said the season is punted, it is. And so what they're doing is planning for 2024 by buying young players. There'll be other buys, I'm sure, in the summer, maybe be a little bit more maturity and experience to, to add to the youth that we've brought in. Um, you know, there's some exciting rumours going about about who we could get to complete the puzzle. Um, and I think, unfortunately, football fans demand the owners wear their hearts on their sleeve and that the players wear their hearts on their sleeve and they pledge loyalty to the club. And you know what? That just doesn't happen. You know, we had a bit of an outlier, an anomaly in Roman Abramovich, you know, who was prepared to, um, you know, to take a very different and, and much more passionate approach to things. Um, I, I don't think this lot are. I think they are setting them, trying to set themselves up for long-term success. And if that means sacrificing short-term happiness, I don't think they're, they're, they're even worried about that. And, and in a way, as my son would say, it's quite good they don't think like us because we're idiots, most of us. Most of us are idiots. You know, we are. You know, we, we, we take such a skewed view of our football club. You know, we don't think with any kind of practicality or pragmatism. You know, we just want it and we want it now. And why isn't it working? And we act like toddlers, most of us. You know, so in a way, you don't really want the people running your club to be like us. You want, us, you want them to have empathy. You want them to feel that we're all pulling in the same direction. You want them to feel committed and, and, and a certain amount of loyalty to what they're trying to achieve with the club. But they don't have to think like us. That's not their job. And I think I think that's a really valid point. And thank God there's someone who's got some rationale and some planning who won't go, oh, my God, look what just happened. 
The, the one thing I think they're going to struggle with is finding, for, for me, the, the, one of the main issues for a player or a type of player we do not have in this side is a striker. A striker who can play people in through the sides, play people in through the channels, hold the ball up, turn, shoot, take players on. We don't have that. But that's not Chelsea's fault in certain ways. I'm blaming Barcelona for this. Barcelona changed football with their tic-a-tac of football and it got rid of strikers. Everyone started playing that. And you are seeing, you look at that World Cup, how many strikers can you think of in that World Cup that impressed you? We are years behind developing a whole new raft and a new generation of strikers. There are a handful in the world. We thought we got one with Lukaku and he just proved not to be up for it. But you look around, there aren't many about, are there, Seb? No, and, and you know, and I think that goes back to the fear factor. You know, when you had Southampton, who obviously came really thinking that they could turn us over on, you know, on Saturday. And, you know, when I remember the days of, you know, I, I remember when Drogba used to come out to the pitch, you could almost see defenders, you know, you could see their shoulders sag. You know, this man terrified defences, you know, and, and so so did Diego Costa to a degree. And, you know, we I just feel that with all of these, you know, I, listen, I don't blame Kai Havertz because he's not really a striker being played in that position. You know, I think he's doing quite a good job for, you know, it, for what he's doing. But, you know, we we really do miss someone up front, someone that, you know, all of these dribblers are getting the ball into. Um, you know, they were really highlighting it on match of the day that, you know, there was just no one there half the time in the spaces that there should be someone to put the goals in. And, you know, both games, it arguably, listen, both games, I'm sure we're going to come on to each individual game, but both games last week, we could have won. You know, they weren't, both games we could have won. We could have we could have beat Southampton. You know, I know it wasn't our finest performance. Actually, the second half was was actually quite exciting. We were we seemed really up for it. Um, you know, we, we we really could have scored three or four goals and against Dortmund as well. And I just I don't think it's the panic stations. Actually, I really enjoyed the Champions League game. I thought, even though it was a one-nil game, I thought actually it, it showed progression. It showed progression in the new players, it showed some players starting to gel together. You know, I thought there were a ton of positives to take from that game. Andy, you you wanted to come in there, didn't you? Do we need a number nine? I'm not so sure. I'm not sure. I'm not so sure we do. You know, I, I think that the idea of the big lad up front, you know, who's your presence and your striker, I'm not sure that's necessary in 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 where we are at the moment. Look at Manchester City. Look at Liverpool. Look at look at Arsenal to a degree. Look at these teams. Look at some of the big European teams. Are they playing with big number nines? Are they playing yes. with who? Well, I mean, uh, Holland, Holland. Sorry, I mean, I mean, have they been playing with big number nines? I mean, you know, uh, no, but they've been searching for one. That's the whole well, point. They, of the city. They've, they've, they've managed to get basically a cheat code in a Game of Thrones character, you know, in into you know to to do that. But before that, they weren't. They were winning the league without. And I recognise what you would call number nine. I mean, they had Aguero for a while, but you know they had periods where they didn't. You know, and 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 Arsenal were the same, and 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 Liverpool with Mane and Salah and uh, Firmino. You couldn't call any of those as recognised number nines. And and I think that it's not it's not as easy or reductive 
to say, and I had some bloke behind me just screaming, we need a number nine all game. And I felt like turning around and going, do we? You know what I mean? Or do we just need someone to convert one of these chances? Because they're all capable of doing it. There are plenty of players that can play in that front three that convert those chances. The problem we have, I think, is confidence. And the problem we have is... is um, well, it's confidence, isn't it? Because if you look at Rashford at the moment, you know, here's a player that we all knew was pretty good. He's suddenly turned into the best striker in the world over the last month. And if you look at the game yesterday when he played, he took that ball into the box and hit it and scored. If that had been Mason Mount, if that had been, uh, if that had been uh, Havertz, Havertz, if it had been any of those players that play in a forward role, Sterling, they would have all taken another touch they wouldn't have hit it that early because they didn't have the confidence. And I think the issue we have is not having a big number nine. The issue we have is is those players not having the confidence. Because we've seen Mason Mount bang them in. We've seen Sterling score dozens of goals. We've seen Havertz, you know, uh, you know, when he's in his imperial phrase, you know, scoring goals. He's one of the elite headers. Uh, you know, I, I don't necessarily think that's just the answer. I think it's a bit reductive. I don't think it's just a big number nine. I'm talking about a person who just scores. He can be five foot seven. Spurs it doesn't have got matter. Harry Kane. What are they doing at the moment? Well, they're in the top four, and are you they? Know, you know, I mean, are they? Are they you know, are they? Are they? Would you say they were flying, looking like they're going to win the league? Well, who knows? I'll tell you after the oh, weekend come on, when we played them. Win the league, you know that. No, they're not going to win the league, but they might well finish top four. What I'm saying is, you need somebody top who is fifth, used to converting. They were, then they dropped out, didn't they, yesterday afternoon. But the the point is, we need somebody who just converts chances. I don't care what size he is, but somebody who understands. We don't have a player who understands how to get in and around the box and take the chances. To know when to come in from the wing and get into the box and be ready. But that's kind of what I'm we saying. We don't have that's it. That's what I'm saying. And I think we do have it. I just don't think they're able to, to convert it. And, and, and uh, you know, if you say to me, you know, bring the right number nine in. This guy Osman from, from Napoli looks incredible. You know, he looks, he looks like absolutely purpose-built for the Premier League. You know, he looks like, uh, you know, like, like, a, like somebody we should be looking at. He's going to be 150 million quid, but that doesn't seem to bother our owners. So you get the right one. You bring Harry Kane. In, I'm all fine. Do you know what I mean? But this idea that this mythical number nine's out there and, and we just bring them in and everything's all right. I think what I'm trying to say is we have the players that can score goals. They're just not scoring goals. But there you go. That is the mythical number nine. It's no, Ossiman no, it's, you're, missing, it's you're missing the point. It's not. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that the players that we have can score as many goals as that mythical number nine. They just don't have the confidence to do it at the moment. Xiao Felix will come on and talk about the Dortmund game. Should have put that game out of sight with two absolute sitters. We know he can score. We know he's got you know cold blood in front of goal. God knows why he didn't convert those. But they, you know, they're, they're chances that, that that should have been converted. It doesn't matter yeah, whether I, it's I, a, I, a number nine or, 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 or a, you know, a false nine or a, or a number 10. Those, those chances should have been converted. I don't think any of the players we've got at this moment in time will turn into regular goal scorers at this moment in time until they get somebody who can gel them all together. We need Whether it's a number nine, whether it's just a... a player who understands where the goal is. We need someone who brings everyone together. Yeah. We've got all the pieces. We need a, a fulcrum. Yeah, I, listen, uh, sorry, of... I'm going on a bit about it. And, you know, I want to bring Seb into the conversation as well. But, you know, I... Yeah, I um, he's relaxing. I, I, you know, I just want to get my point across. I'm not against the idea of a number nine. I'm not saying that we play without a number nine. I'm just saying that that is not necessarily the solution to what we're going through at the moment. That's my only point. Seb, what's but your I... thought? Can we still blame Barcelona for stopping... Certain types of forward play. Because I'm blaming them. Not suggesting that we are, you know, we need to just go get a big blo bloke up front. But there's definitely 
areas of attack on that game on Saturday where there should be a player and we didn't have a player. And whether that's because the players we have are not doing as as much as they could be, or whether it's we're, we're missing that type of player, there was something sorely missing in that Southampton game. You know, they were showing whole areas and, you know, showing, uh, you know, on, on match today, they were showing all kinds of movement not happening and people making wrong decisions. And I, I agree with Andy, we touched it in the beginning, this is a team really low on confidence. Something, you know, and it, it might be two back-to-back wins, picks everyone up and suddenly they're all slotting balls in like a pinball machine. We don't know, but at the moment, and it's really hard to, you know, because I know it's, you know, Chelsea getting beaten by bottom of the table Southampton. But I tell you what, that match on Saturday, that didn't look like a bottom of the table team. It didn't look like, you know, a Southampton that are almost cert for relegation. New, new, ma- new that, manager bounce, you know what I mean? But also the fact that we don't have the fear factor anymore. We that we look, we look like we're scared. We look like we're scared and... You know, and also a new team in building as well. And with that, there's no fear factor. When when no. when, when we come on and we talk about Southampton, which I guess we're going to do now after the break or whatever, you know, and I, it's worth mentioning this now ahead of the game. When Havertz and Sterling came on in the second half, suddenly we had a presence up front. You know, even though both of those players, you would say, are not number nines. When we had Fafana, who's very raw and very young, he did some good stuff. You know, he he he, he got himself, but he wasn't a presence. He never looked like scoring. Um, and you bought two players on. And suddenly we were creating chances. Mount had a chance. Uh, Sterling had an absolutely golden chance. There were other moments in the game where people could have shot or passed or passed or shot. Um, and, and, you know, I hate to talk about things like XG, but, you know, it would have been reasonable, I think, in that game to assume that one of those would have gone in and we got, would have got at least a point. Yeah, and I think before we go to the commercial break, I would say... And sometimes you just don't get the rub of the green. And I don't think we have. Oh, man, we've we seen cursed. extraordinary saves. We, we, we are <laughs> for now. But it, luck changes. That's the thing about luck. It doesn't stay with you always, but it doesn't stay with you as bad always. So anyway, look, we should go to the commercial break and we'll be back after this. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. And we're back. Well, I mean, in a way, we've touched on so many points that were relevant for the games. But when you look at at both games, and we can talk about this again, the thing that slightly frustrates me about the teams, and we talk about Borussia Dortmund, I like the fact that we saw Enzo and Ruben playing together. Don't get me wrong. I don't think, no, the point is, I know you're making a face, Andy, but, but Ruben and Enzo had started 
playing well together. They played a couple of games and then it all changed again. And I'm not saying that's that partnership. It should be it. But we need to find partnerships. For me, Enzo and um, Kovacic didn't really work for me as a midfield uh, against Southampton. And do not think, Andy, that... When you've got new players, the thing you're trying to find is partnerships. So we've had Thiago, we've had Badia Shield, we've had Enzo and we've had Ruben. We've had various little tie-ups that work together, a full-back and the, the wide player. How important is that at the moment? Do you think Potter is just experimenting to see what he's got and is suffering because of that? Or do you think once he finds something that seems as though it's working, we should stick with that and give it longer? No, I think he's experimenting. I think he's looking at different options. Uh, Ruben Loftus-Cheek, perfectly fine. He's he's great. He's never going to set the world on fire. He's a decent squad player, bringing in when, when you need him. Um, he's not the answer. I don't think he's got enough quality in his final products um, to, to really be the answer to what we need. I think he he was diligent and he was professional and he was clean and tidy on the ball um, and he mopped up and he was uh, pretty good um, in terms of pushing us forward, but he didn't have that final bit that's needed to to, to really impact the game. Uh, Fernandez, I think, is on another level. I think he's brilliant. He's been a brilliant buy. You know, you're looking at that that left wing at the moment, Chilwell and who? Chilwell and and, and Mudrick. Mudrick's not working at the moment. You know, something needs to be said about that. Uh, I mean, you got all excited about him in the Liverpool game, and, and I did say to you then, Let's wait and see. Let's wait and see what happens. And, you know, in four games since, he hasn't really done it. Now, is that him or is that the, the you know, the, the the fact that he hasn't got an overlap from Chilwell or is he trying to do too much? Is he nervous? I mean, we don't know. I'm not going to write the kid off early. He's, he's, he's played four games and he's very young and coming into a new league. But that's not quite working. Um, you know, Seb mentioned Ziyech earlier on. Ziyech has done good, but has he really impacted any of the games that he's come on apart from being able to turn around and say try? hard and he worked hard and he did some interesting things has he really put that killer ball in or you know scored that killer goal or, or impacted the game and that's what I want to see I want to see players impacting the game in the same way that Kante would impact the game or the same way that you know Fernandez I think is impacting the game at the moment or Silva does there's too many players at the moment that are coming on and trying hard and looking good in phases not having a final product not really delivering what we need because it's all very well looking good and trying hard but that's not going to win you games and Seb on that point of finding partnerships and making things work we I'm not going to go on about it but I think we are just missing the right person to bring them all together whether that's up front whether it's in midfield I don't know but do you see how this is going to work out long term can you see what the plan is I mean Andy I mean let's talk about Mudrick perhaps because I think it's a very valid point Amazing uh, appearance against Liverpool, uh, and as Andy would say, against a 308-year-old fullback. But they took him off within a few minutes and he still carried on terrorising them. We haven't seen it since. What we've seen is fullbacks push him off the pitch, basically, when he goes, oh, I'll knock it past you and run, run, run you round. And it just doesn't happen. How do we think this is going to pan out? And should we be looking at partnerships and cementing them? Quite difficult because I mean we had a lot of substitutions. I know we had a lot of substitutions partly because of the in, the blow to Azpilicueta's head. It, it just felt you know at some it's, it's just felt the last few games that 
so many of the substitutions haven't made much difference other than the, the Havertz-Sterling one on Saturday, which, which really changed everything. But it just seems we just seem to be taking, putting on, taking off a, a dribbling player and putting another very similar like-for-like -like player. We, we seem to have a lot of fancy players that can kind of cut in and dribble. And But some, you know, against a very resolute Southampton defence, that didn't seem to be working on Saturday. You know, we weren't finding the right spaces. Um, I, th I think balls into the box have been sloppy. Actually, if I'm defending Ziyech again, I, I thought those two games before these two, I thought Ziyech was the only one getting the really, really nice balls into the box. Um I don't know. You know, honestly, there's so many questions about where this is going at the moment. Did we buy too many players at once? Did we buy too many similar players at once? You know, Nani Maduka. I mean, he looks great, but he does seem to just run into trouble. And we've we've had those players before. But he's young. He'll learn. You know, he's very young. Um, I, I think we've bought a lot of potential. Are they all going to, re you know, realise that potential? Who knows? Uh, but it, it does feel like we're putting some some markers on the old... Um, it, we're, we're gambling a little bit on some of these players, particularly with the price we're paying. Um, and like I said earlier, it still feels that we need someone, and you said, that's going to bind them all together, a little bit of a an older head and someone a bit tougher somewhere that's going to... Or it might be managerial. Something is wrong. They're not all connecting. And someone's got to figure out someone better than us is going to have to figure out how to do that. Andy, do you think also when you've got a player like Reese James, who's coming back and you've got Tiago Silva and they're getting rested for games like Southampton, which in normal times you could understand because it should be a home banker. That is the classic home banker with the situation as it was. Do you think Potter's making a rod for his own back? by resting them, and you see Reese James in the crowd watching the game, and then you see that performance what, against what, Southampton and losing... Why do you think he's resting him, Kerry? Well, I think there's two reasons. One is that they are managing his injury for sure. 100%. That's what but, it is. It's not two reasons. One reason. That's it. No, there is, there's another reason as well, which is looking after them for future games, for the Tottenham game and the Borussia Dortmund game. So that's game. the same thing? No, it's not, because you are protecting players by making them miss the present day game that they could be playing in. No, no, they you shouldn't be, be thinking about them. that's the point. So so I don't believe that. Well, so the way that um data works, and we talked about data earlier on, is they is these players have what's called a red zone. They have a red zone, yeah. which is they can only perform at a certain level until they hit the red zone. Clearly Reese James, and it has been said, is in the red zone. He can't play. It's not possible for him to play without aggravating the existing injury, you know, because the data, the stats, and they wear the thing across their chest and take their bloods and, yeah, and, no, no, and have all that it. kind of stuff. So it wasn't possible for him to play. He wasn't rested for any other reason than it wasn't possible for him to play. And ergo, he is saving him for future games. So it's the same thing. That's what I'm saying. Okay, well, then if he is in the red zone, wouldn't you rather hear that we are managing it? It's a slight aggravation. We've just got to manage it. It's not it. an aggravation. Rather it's not, it's not well, an aggravation. It's, it's a, we are, have hit this protective point. Protective measure. We have, yeah, exactly. We've hit this point in his recovery. So it's not an aggravation. It's just that we've hit this point in his recovery. He's stepped to the level that we can play him to. Now we have to build to the next level. It's not me just speculating on it. That's, that's the way that, you know, modern sports science works. But wouldn't you rather they actually told you that as well? Um, but I think they kind of 
did. I mean, I read it, so it has been said. I'm just not going to say it in the post match, but you know, I mean, it's 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 you know, it's it's an accepted part of sports science that you manage the recovery of injured players. Of course, but Seb, my my point here is that. If we know more, then we accept it more. I know we've got to look after him. He is an absolute crown jewel. But we ended up losing a game. And part of you thinks, well, if Reese James was playing, just maybe we might not have lost. What do you think about it? I to- and I'm being devil's advocate with Andy here. But what do you think about this whole situation? Last season, our season fell apart when we lost Chilwell and James. 100%. Um, it absolutely fell apart. The style of football changed. Everything changed. I thought we'd got a really good, and we still may have a, a really good understudy for Chilwell in Kukurea. I, I refuse to believe he's the bad player that a lot of fans want to believe. Um, but we haven't really given James an understudy. So I, I think, you know, every time, you know, and he came back from injury and then we lost him again about two or three games later. And they're obviously worried about that. And so, you know, there is a point where you're going to have to say, do we want him for Southampton or do we want to burn him out, risk an injury and not have him for the return Champions League match and, you know, another big match coming up? Spurs they're, and Leeds, co- yeah. You know, there there are there are big decisions to be made. And sure, it would have been nice to see him on the pitch, but I'm sure they know what they're doing. And I'm sure they're saying, well, look, we're going to have to take a risk on this because otherwise there's a good chance he won't be there for some bigger matches. For me, it's not even worth worrying about. We should be worrying about the 11 players or oh, oh, 16 players that actually played on Saturday. I mean, the fact that James was in the crowd doesn't bother me at all. And Andy, that is actually the point, isn't it? That actually those players on the pitch should have been good enough to cope with that game against Southampton. Because you look at it, we've had enough chances in the Dortmund game to get more than a 1-0 loss. We could have won that Southampton game. As you would say, coulda, woulda, shoulda. But there should be enough in this team to get us through this so that we can manage, so we don't even have thoughts like I have. I think if you break the game down into simple bite-sized chunks. We played what looked like 4-2-3-1. Dave Koulibaly didn't have silver. Koulibaly, who did okay against Dortmund, I have to say. Uh, Badishile, who probably made the first mistakes he made in a Chelsea shirt, but still played okay. Chilwell is still coming back from fitness, uh, from injury. Uh, Kovacic, who we haven't seen for a little while, uh, partnering Fernandez. Uh, Madueki, who's a new boy, who looks exciting, if a little raw. Jao Felix, who's been great. Mason Mount, who's in a bit of a dip at the moment, but we know what his qualities are. And Fafana, who is, you know, a, a brand new, very raw number nine. A lot of changes, a lot of youth, a lot of players either injured or out of form. But even so, you know, we created chances. We created chances in the first half and the second half, uh, which we could have finished. Um, everybody seems to be having a worldie at the moment on the goal line. Happened in Dortmund as well, didn't it? And um, and goalkeepers seem to be playing very well against us. Um, you know, it was one error. Somebody diving in, you know, and giving James Ward-Prowse, one of the best free kick takers in the world, an opportunity, which eventually for him is a bit like a penalty. And apart from that, 
they didn't really threaten us. A couple of times, Kepa, you know, stepped up and made some decent saves. They didn't really threaten us. It was a set piece, which we shouldn't have given away to a player of his quality. So, you know, there's not a lot to look at that and go, you know, really, was it a catastrophe? It was a catastrophe for the sum of its parts. In other words, it was another terrible loss in against a poor side at the end of a, a, a losing run, of course. But if you actually look at the game... It wasn't that bad. It, it, we should have won it. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a fair point. Uh, th- the other player I'd like to talk about is Zhao Felix. Is he already, in just whatever it is, four games he's played for us, showing that if we do buy him, we have him as the central figure of this team? That actually he could be a kind of a hazard player. He's slightly different, of course, but he's one of those who could become a talismanic player for us. What do you think, Seb? I think he... Uh, I, I really like Fernandez of all the, of all the you know the, the Christmas signings, but Jao Felix. I, when I watch him, he is world class. You see him on the ball, and I know he didn't finish the goals, and you know he's, this is a new league, new team, new everything. But there's something about him. He just looks. Really world class. He could be in any team, and I'm. I really, really hope he finds his feet, finds the goal, and I hope he stays. I honestly, I just think he. You know, I. I and funny you mentioned Eden Hazard. I. I thought he. It felt like he could be our our really tricky world class player that we've probably been missing for a while. I. I I've. I've got high hopes, but who knows whether he's going to stay or whether he'll find those goals. Well, and what do you think, Andy, on Jao Felix? Do we build a side round him if we can buy him? You. You know, I'll quote you what I always say, give me 10 games. Don't give me four games. Give me 10 games. See see what he's like. Can he do it week after week after week? I, my sense is he can. My sense is from what I've seen of him, he's brilliant. Um, he's been one of the real shining lights uh, over over recent weeks. And Seb's right. It doesn't matter if he didn't finish those goals. You can see his quality. Um, and I think you might be right. He he may become a talismanic figure. I, I would imagine we'll put a serious bid in for him because he is the kind of player that fits the profile of what we're trying to build. And do you think with somebody like Felix, if we sign him, I think there's going to be a big casualty somewhere. And for me, that means either Mason Mount or Kai Havertz, possibly even both, may end up leaving Chelsea if we sign Felix, because I think they're all vying for the same kind of position in a lot of ways. What do you think, Seb? Yeah, and, I, and we talked about Nkunku before, say, you know, him talking about when we we're missing something up front. I mean, he describes himself as an attacking midfielder. He doesn't even describe himself as a striker. There are way too many pieces to, for one jigsaw puzzle. Someone's going to have to go... <laughs> I, I mean, I'm kind of on the fence with Kai Havertz because I really, really like him. I really like him, and but we don't seem to get the best out of him. Whether that's because we're not playing him in the right position, whether that's I'm not sure what it is, but I really, really like him. Mason Mount, I know, I, I, I could see the fans pushing him away actually, um, I, and I think that's a real shame. I, I, I think the fans are really, I, I you know, I had a big moan about some fans. Uh, getting on Kukureya's back in the last in the last podcast that I did, and I can see them doing that with Mount. I don't really get the I don't get it at all. I know he's had a dip in form, but they've been very, very, very quick to. I, I think Sorry. I think the vast majority of those uh, criticizing Mason Mount are not 
what you would call match going or long term uh, fans. You know, they tend to be younger foreign fans, you know, who are trolling him on social media for whatever reason. A lot of American fans think that Christian Pulisic is getting a raw deal um, and that Mason Mount is being favoured because he's English uh, and because he's from the academy. Uh, A lot of people are saying that he's not being judged by the same standards as other players because he's young, English and from the academy. And there may be some truth in that. However, I do think that Mason Mount, again, fits the profile of the kind of player that we want. And and he's exactly, in, when he's in form and when he has confidence, exactly the kind of player that will give you energy and, and will drive you forward and will give you that sense of culture that Chelsea need. You need that. You need that kind of culture on the pitch as well. I think he's important for that. You know, I think if Mason Mount leaves, I don't think it'll be the fans. I think it'll be Mason Mount. And I genuinely think it'll be money. And if we don't pay Mason Mount whatever he's demanding, and it's all speculation, isn't it? Uh, and somebody's prepared to pay it, then his advisors will turn around and say, you'd be crazy not to take it. You know, it's a job. You know, you don't owe yeah. Chelsea anything. You know, Chelsea owe you. So if you want to, if you want Mason Mount to stay, pony up or whatever. I get the sense that, that Chelsea will. I think they understand what he means to a big section of our fans and what he means to the link with the, you know, with, with the Chelsea culture. I think they understand that. I don't think they're stupid. I think if anybody goes, it probably will be Hazard. And I think we'll regret it. Uh, and on the Mason Mount uh, thing, I wouldn't sorry, say uh, it's Hazard, just... it's not Hazard. So yeah, yeah. 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 He's, gone. he's gone mate oh. one of the best bits of business and then did anybody's nothing. ever done <laughs> exactly and, and on the Mount thing I wouldn't say it was just foreign fans I've heard a lot more moaning in the ground about Mason have Mount you? I and haven't, it, I haven't it, heard yeah. that okay. no I have okay. I have and I find it I find it really sad um, because he is a Chelsea boy through and through and he's going through a dip in form anyway look we, we should probably move on. We've kind of covered most of the areas. One last thing to say about the, the game was the other thing. If Reese James had played, poor old Aspie had never got a kick in the face. Oh, that was just such an awful moment. I mean, I, and I'm being flippant there about the Reese James thing. Uh, I just want to say, you know, for us, Aspiliqueta, magnificent servant, really hope that he gets through this all right. It was a fearful crack as well. I mean, it really was. And when he saw the Southampton players go down straight away and and roll him over and and help him, you know it was serious. And uh, yeah, I'm sure you both have your own view of it. And uh, it was an awful moment in a football ground. He's okay. He's he's come out on social media with a thumbs up picture and thanks everybody for the help that he's got and you know he's clearly recovering well uh yeah you never like to see that kind of thing um we've seen it before haven't we with i remember drogba going down unconscious before he hit the floor once i remember john terry in a cup final you know getting kicked in the head and coming back on um uh you know dave dave's made of made of stern stuff i think and people forget that about dave he's super tough you know he's a super tough player, and you know he's he's kind of good looking and he's he's stylish, but he's got some steel about him. That you don't play so many games um, at this level if you haven't got some steel about you. So you'll be all right, I'm sure. Yeah, and and Seb, I'm sure you probably feel the same, don't you? Yeah, of course. I, I, you know what? I mean, you could really see the the Southampton players and and anyone in the crowd, anywhere near it. You know, it, it looked bad. It was bad, and it took a long time to sort out. And everyone was patient. It was handled well. You know, and we all wish him the best. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Well, look, we're getting to the end of the the podcast. Um, just a small matter of discussing our next game, which is away at now. Where could that be? Oh yeah, North London, Tottenham Hotspur. 
Um, okay, Andy, your thoughts on this game and then a prediction. How do you see this one going? Is this a good time for them to be playing us or a good time for us to be playing them? I think it's a good time for them to be playing us, for sure. Um, they have not overly impressed me this season. They've been very inconsistent. When they've been good, they've been good. When they've been poor, they've been poor. Um, so it depends which Tottenham Hotspur, Hotspur turn up on Sunday afternoon. So, uh, look, I think there's got to be a reaction from us to those performances this week. There's got to. You know, they, they, I don't care, you know, whether Graham Potter is the most uninspiring manager in the dressing room ever. I think those players will want to go out there and try and prove something, particularly after the Southampton game. It's a long time since I've heard us that, that amount of booing at halftime and full-time at Stamford Bridge. It was cacophonous and toxic. And I think that that will... that I don't think it will cow them. I think it will, it will inspire them. So I think when we go to uh, White Hart Lane on Sunday, we'll go with some purpose and with some attitude. I think they look like they can score goals. That's the worrying thing. Although I think if, if Silva's back and Baddy Shile's next to him, um, I think that, you know, the defensively I haven't got as many concerns as I have with us up front. And I think that if we can just convert one of the many chances that we create, we'll put them on the back foot and they'll wobble. You know, they got smashed by wolves for Christ's sake. You know, they're not, they're not impervious by any stretch of the imagination. Um, they're not, you know, that is not a fortress at White Hart Lane. So... Listen, I'm going to go in. I'm going to try and be confident about this and say that you know we'll come out of there with a narrow victory. I think I think maybe we'll sneak a one 0 win. Okay, there's one point which I'll ask both of you after this, but um, there's there's also something I didn't mention about the Southampton game was the return of Wesley Fofana, yeah. and watching him and Badia Shield looked utterly fantastic. You could see that pairing could be the pairing for the next ten years. Also, a back four for the next ten years of Chilwell, Badia Shield, uh, Fofana, and Rhys James. It's just going to be one of the best back fours in the whole league, isn't it? If they can stay fit. Uh, yeah, you know, exactly. you, you know what? I've just been about to say, no one's mentioned the other Fafana coming back and how good that was to see because we, you know, not only did we spend a lot of money on him, but he was actually, you know, he's a pretty good player and he seemed to slot straight back in. I mean, and like Andy, I think, you know, we had real defensive worries uh, uh, you know, at the beginning of the season, like Andy, I think we've turned that corner. I think our defense is looking good. You know, up, it's it's up front that we we need the work. I think Tottenham is coming at a good time. I mean, I think if there was a, any a time to get yourself up for a game mentally, physically, and realize what it means to the fan, this is the this is the game. And funny enough, I think we seem to play a little bit better away from home at the moment. So I'm going to go three one. Oh, three one. Yeah. Good lord. It's it's funny actually. You saying three? Uh, when I was coming down, I had to come from Kettering, uh, and um, for the game of Southampton, there was a couple of Chelsea fans on their phones, and one of them was going, "Oh, this is amazing! This is amazing! I got such great odds on us getting three nil against <laughs> Southampton." I turned around to him. I said, "Mate, if you do that, you're going to do your money. Are you what? Are you Chelsea?" I said, "Yeah, I am." He said, "What's it going to be?" I said, "One nil." And he said, what, Chelsea? I hope so. I could have got it right, you know, but three, it's a lot to ask for this Chelsea. But this is the game. This is the game that's going to happen. 
It should be, because Tottenham always like to give us a present. Before, um, before you before give I, your prediction, can I just mention one, I was, thing, one thing we haven't mentioned? Can we just give a shout-out to Kepper at the moment? Because here is yep. a much maligned goalkeeper who, you know, cost us an awful lot of money, didn't cover himself in glory in the early stages of his time at Chelsea, has come in after the injury to Mendy and made that spot his own. I think he pulled off two great saves against Southampton that went pretty unnoticed. And he has done just as well as I think he could do, you know, and he's had a good defence helping him out. But I don't, I don't think he should be ignored in this mix. You know, he's, he's somebody that's I've shown the mental strength to come back from quite a lot of grief from those fans, from us fans, I should say. No, fair enough. And, uh, you know, no, I think I think that's a fair point. But he also looks confident as well behind it. He's starting to trust those defenders. That helps a goalkeeper incredibly when he knows the chances are smaller of people getting through. Still a bit so, worried yeah, about no, him on crosses. But apart from that, he's done all right. He's yeah, a good shot exactly. And, and your thoughts on Wesley Fofana? Me, I think he's, uh, he, I was very, very excited when he came. Um, he looked a bit wobbly in his first games. Um, gave the ball away, didn't he? And uh, he just looked a bit nervous. Then he got injured. I hope this is a you know a clean sheet for him and a, and a, a brave new world. Yeah, absolutely. Well, my thoughts are yes. I think it's going to be a tough old game. I think it's a kind of t- we, we don't know. We we are searching for our identity at the moment. So I have no idea what anything could happen. It could be three nil or whatever as Seb three one as Seb says. It could be one nil. It could be two one. It could be anything. I'm going to go for a one all draw. Sadly. No, I'm not. I can't do that. It just feels wrong. I'm going to go for a 2-1 Chelsea win. What the hell? You know, I've got to do it. I've got to do it. It's got to turn at some point. We need a little bit of luck. Maybe we get a bit of a ricochet goal in the... And when was the last time we scored a goal in the last minute or something? Haven't done that for a long, long time. Uh, and, we, and we're due some... We're due a bit of luck. So, Tottenham, come and help us out as you always used to do. Right, well, that's it. We are out of time. Andy, thank you as always. Seb, thank you again. Lovely to see you. Uh, We will be back uh, next week. I presume we will be back next week. We will be back next week. Uh, Until then, keep the faith. Keep the blue flag flying high. Come on, you chills. If you want to advertise on or sponsor this show, check us out at playbackmedia.co.uk. Social Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.